Yo. Yo, what's up? How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Just trying to catch up on every single comment. I just posted, so trying to catch up. Going <laughs> so nuts. I'm going to take a little <laughs> break from commenting. Yeah, yeah. Keep your attention on uh, one tab at a time, man. I feel yeah, like yeah, very too, many, uh, too many digital and mental tabs open right now for me, I must I'll say. I'll try, I promise. <laughs> Do you want to give us a bit of an intro, man? I'm ex- I've been ex- a fan of your content. We've not been connected long, admittedly, but since I saw it, I was like, just even the profile set up, everything's intentional, everything's nice, everything's tuned and dialed in. Um, and I was just impressed straight away. So click the follow button. I was like, follow's not enough. I need to connect with this guy. So we, uh, we connected, we've had a little bit of back and forth in the DMS. Obviously I know a bit about your story, but for anyone that doesn't, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure thing. Um, my name is Yasmin Ali. Everybody, especially on LinkedIn knows me as Jay from Hey Jay. Um, in short, I help brands with their brand messaging. Um, what it means, the longer version is I do copywriting. I do brand strategy. I do the full blown brand messaging framework for brands, whether it's smaller brands, bigger brands. Um, But I also serve as a creative director, meaning I can actually come in, handle full on creative projects or creative teams and just take over and, you know, like hopefully revamp the whole situation for clients, which has been a thing that's happened quite a few times. So yeah, in short, I just help brands with their brand messaging and with a heavy focus on copy. So yeah, and I also, oh my goodness, yeah, there's also quite a few other things. (laughs) I also (laughs) teach copywriting at the university. Um, so yeah, copywriting is, is okay. definitely, uh, you know, a number one thing in my life where it's basically 90% of my day, every single day. Amazing, man. So good. I was, I was having a fish around on, uh, on your website before, and I've seen some of the logos of the brands that you've worked with. Impressive stuff. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of your backstory, how you got started? I mean, you don't just accumulate all this knowledge, expertise yeah. and big brand portfolio overnight. How did this all kick off for you? To tell you the truth, I started on Upwork. And people usually get very yeah, very surprised. That's the reaction I usually get from people. <laughs> um, it's like, I started on Upwork. I literally just started writing content, like blogs and articles. And over time, I realized I could do more. Like, as I was writing, as I was doing more and more work with more and more clients, um, you sort of have to understand where that piece of content falls into play in their marketing strategy. Like, is it going before a landing page or after a landing page? Is it going, you know, uh, within the email or does the link in the email lead to this particular article? So because of that, I was starting to understand how it all works outside of just my own content. Like I was literally trying to see the whole picture. And as I did, I came across so many other pieces of content or particularly, you know, content that requires a lot of copywriting, like websites, ads, social media posts, things like that. And that's how I got into copywriting. I literally did not know what copywriting was when I first started doing it. Like, I literally did not. I started seeing so many job ads on Upwork where it's like, we need website copywriting. We need social media copywriting. I'm like, what the hell is copywriting? I have no idea. This was way, this was like almost 10 years ago now. And yeah, I just decided to give it a go and click on one of those job ads on Upwork. And when I did, I was like, I already know how to do this. Like I literally already know. And I gave it a try. Like I literally convinced some clients like, yeah, I can do this. Like I can get, get these results done for you. And um, yeah, one by one, things just kind of fell into place. I was doing a whole lot of research, a whole lot of learning with every new project. And with that, you know, good results came about. Word of mouth was a really big um, lead driver mm-hmm. for me, lead generator. And just 
out of the blue, one day I get this invite for my first Fortune 500 client on Upwork. Like I literally didn't have to do a thing other than stay consistent and just grow and grow and grow over time. And they were like, hey, want to try a little project for us? I, I don't want to get into the details about who it was, but you know, it was a small project at first, a test project. I was like, sure. And I did well. And then I, then I got more. And then again, word of mouth landed me to, a, to another Fortune 500 client and so on and so forth. So Today, there's like a whole list of these big, big um, brand names. And I'm super proud of that because um, I literally just wanted to do something more. I wanted to get creative. I wanted to learn new things. And, you know, it's sort of grown by itself, I want to say. I, I did put in effort, but I always say, like, once you put in that effort daily, it just, you know, the consistency, consistency just brings you up there. I made a mental note to touch on consistency because it's something I'm really, really big on in yeah. my content. I talk about it a lot and showing up no matter what. I, I did it backwards a lot of the time with, uh, not a lot of the time, this time with my whole like ethos, everything. I didn't sit down and work out the vision, the North Star, the values and things like that. But having spoken with members of my team, um, I've worked out that the number one thing is is action. That's that's my that's my core value and our core value as a business and i don't think that's enough having having dwelled on it a bit more it has to be consistent action consistent action in the right direction and i think that's what people struggle with because obviously we're going to tie this into brand but more specifically linkedin brand and what a few tips and tricks and things that people can do to maintain and, and build obviously a, a strong linkedin brand but the consistency side of things is where most people fail now, why do you think that is? Do you think it's a question of, oh, I've been doing this for five days now and I've only, the max likes I've had is five and that's not good enough. I'm, I'm not good enough, therefore I quit. Or do you think it's more the hustle side of it and the just consistent output, the, the need to create, create, create just isn't sustainable? Yeah, I think it, it has, it, so for me, I look at it differently. It has for me, it has to do with two things. It has to do one the like the bigger part of the problem is instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Like just because we see so many creators out there already doing things and getting some sort of traction, some amount of likes and engagement on their posts consistently, we think, hey, those are not, you know, such high numbers, such big numbers. I can do the same. And then when we try doing it and we don't get to that level. Like we don't get those likes, we don't get those reactions, those comments, those DMs or whatever, specifically on LinkedIn. We think this is not for me, I'm failing. So I'm just going to stop doing it completely. Whereas that other person who's now getting that traction has gone through the same thing, but they haven't quit because consistency means going through that bad part of the process first because everyone has to go through it and then pushing through it or doing something more than that person you're actually looking up to. And when I like talk to people in general about getting started with personal branding, with LinkedIn content creation, or just personal branding in general, or starting a business online, that's usually the first topic that I touch upon. It's instant gratification. Don't expect the results in the first two or three months. I go that far out. Mm. Some LinkedIn coaches will tell you don't expect it for, for your first five to 10 posts. I go even farther. I just tell them straight up. Don't expect any results for the first two to three months. You're going to have to suck it up, create content for 90 days straight. Don't expect anything. Zero likes, zero comments, zero everything. Don't expect anything. Because 
here's what it does. It teaches you how to avoid instant gratification. It teaches you how to share things just because you feel you find the value in sharing. You don't find the value in getting those likes and getting that engagement. That's the value mm -hmm. for me of any content creator. And the thing I find in common with most successful content creators is that they are a very shareable and a very open and generous bunch. Like they're not afraid to share regardless of how well the people perceive it. They don't care if they get a hundred likes on a certain post or a 10 or 10 or a thousand, whatever. All that matters is that they continue sharing. But yeah, that is something you actually need to learn. You actually need to go through that process of not getting anything in return, you know, in order to understand that that's not even what it is about. So instant gratification is definitely, definitely number one. Um, to me, that's like the biggest part of the problem. You have to wait it out. You have to consistently have some input in order to have some sort of output. Sorry, uh, you have to consistently create some output, you know, for, for the people in order to get input from them. But the other side is, as you mentioned it, the word hustle. And we come to the problem of hustle culture. And I believe all of us are taught the wrong things when it comes to hustle culture. We often see it, right? It's like a daily topic, especially on LinkedIn, you know, burnout, imposter syndrome, hustle culture. How do you handle it all? How do you juggle it all? And people think that, I guess it's the very definition of hustle culture. We think it's working 15 to 20 hours a day, you know, risking losing time with friends and family and just focusing on that, that one thing you do in order to make it successful. That's not hustle culture. <laughs> Hustle culture to me just means doing more than the next person, which if we actually take into consideration the real world situation, which is the thing I just explained, like people start and then they don't continue. Like even if you just continue to that person who quit, that's hustle culture. Like you're doing more than like, them and they yeah. don't understand it. Um, so, yeah, we, we can just, uh, I guess, round it out to consistency. Um, for a lot of people, staying consistent means hustling. Like it's an actual effort to stay consistent day in and day out. But once you build those healthy habits, I, I just, uh, this is how I try to teach people how to stay consistent, block out certain hours of the day. Doesn't matter how many minutes or how many hours per day, you have to teach yourself how to be consistent. You don't just wake up, start an online business, or, you know, decide you want to be a content writer, a copywriter, you want to be a video editor, you want to be a LinkedIn coach, whatever. And then you just are consistent. No, you have to actually teach yourself how to be consistent. And for me, that's in the form of blocked out time blocks during your day. Like in the morning, spend an hour a day simply consuming, simply commenting on others, other people's posts. And then spend another hour in the evening creating, writing posts, posting your own. Do it every single day. You're going to create this two-hour habit, basically, every single day. And then once you've built it across this period of 90 days, even if you do more, you know, if, even if you do it longer than just one hour in the morning or one hour in the evening, it's not even going to feel like you're hustling. It's just going to be this natural thing that you've built over time, and now you're just expanding on it. So, yeah, consistency to me is something that should be trained, and I don't think it gets talked about a lot. I really don't. I agree. And it compounds. But I know what you're saying in terms of once you've set that base level of two hours a day for 90 days, 
it's pretty hard not to do it because it, it's inbuilt then, right? And you've you've set yourself a certain well, it's a personal standard of showing up. And you know, Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about yeah. you want to get to a hundred press ups, just make sure you do two every day for however long. And I love that. I wanted to I wanted to probe on one point, which is the the hustle culture, working 20, 20 hours a week, a day or whatever it is. Do you not believe that at the start of any journey, if you know, if you want to be successful at anything, not just business, could be, could be going to the gym, being a bodybuilder, whatever it is. If you want to be successful in that time period, uh, sorry, in that thing, do you not think that you have to go through a season of sacrifice? I absolutely do. Actually, I absolutely do. I'm old school like that because I'll tell you what, and it might sound like a weird statement to make. I know several millionaires, but I don't know a single millionaire who hasn't worked his butt off or worked a hundred hours a week in order to get to that point. Hmm. It wasn't ideal. Like you will never meet a successful person, like a truly really super successful person that half of the world looks up to and ask them, hey, how did you get to this point? Oh, yeah, I was sleeping 10 hours a day or eight hours a day. I was only working for five hours per day every day. I was spending this, this amount of time with my friends, this amount on myself. No, it doesn't work that way. Like, it's just the reality. I, I, as a copywriter, it's my job to sugarcoat things. This is one thing I can't sugarcoat. Like, hustle culture doesn't mean you have to work yourself to sickness, to literally destroy your body of how much you work. It just means doing more than that next person. And even if it means one extra hour that you don't spend with your friends or you don't go out to have that drink or that, or that coffee or have that walk with a friend, if you invested in this business today, it means you don't have to invest it, invest it that one hour tomorrow or a year after or two years after. Because as you said, all of this effort compounds over time if you're not working hard it's it's just it's it's a weird thing i recently spoke about this at a conference um i mentioned the term work hard and it's such a vague statement right like for for you for me working hard like we all have different definitions of it mm. like quite literally um if you ask any random person on the street like what does working hard mean for you some might say you know working eight hours a day at a standard nine to five job and just doing everything you're required to do because not everyone does what they're required to do for them. That's hard work. But if you ask another person, especially um, online entrepreneurs, like what is hard work for them? It literally means 15 to 20 hours a day, just nagging on at one thing and doing it the most, like don't leave anything for tomorrow. Do it today. Don't like, don't leave anything to chance. Take over it yourself. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity. Create your own opportunity. Like we all have different definitions of hard work and hustle culture. And me, who's an old school person who believes that hard work is truly putting in the time and actually making the most use of your time as you're doing so, to me, that's hard work. Like I can finish 15 things in one hour where for those same exact things, it would take 15 hours for a different person. Why? Because I train myself to actually make the best use of my time, how to stay organized, how to stay productive. Um, it's just, again, goes back to that thing I said about teaching ourselves to stay consistent. It's all, it also has to do with teaching ourselves how to be productive. You mm, know, like being busy doesn't mean you're being productive. 
and You're working hard on the wrong in the wrong, going know, in the wrong direction imposter syndrome all that or just bad habits in general um people know this like being busy doesn't necessarily mean you're being productive mm. so yeah for me really is just a compound of all of that realizing that you have to do more than the next person you have to invest that extra hour into linkedin because that other person i assure you is not doing that doing more than them spending your time wisely like how you engage who you engage with right? Where you comment, what sort of thing you post about, because it, it just compounds over time, all these healthy habits. It's not just physical, it's also mental habits. It's also the stuff, um, the type of content you put out for your brand, the types of comments, the types of topics you include in your content. It's just, it's just a whole variety of things for me that consists, actually, that creates this thing called hard work. It's not just the effort itself, it's actually everything that has to do with that effort. So that was a very long answer, but yeah. Um, it was, but I absolutely. think the things you described in, in within the, the hard work definition there are yeah. also some of the fundamental parts of a, a LinkedIn brand as well. You know, every oh, action you take, every action you take daily and how much of that action you take daily is bit well working for your brand either for or against you. Um, so I think we've started in a really good place almost by accident, but <laughs> we've kind of covered like the, sort of the mindset shifts that you need to be able to come on board this platform and start to take it seriously. And I think, you know, what you've said is very similar to what I help my clients with, which is a six month program. Month one is all about setup and clarity and laying a roadmap month two onwards well, month two and three, we're working on a 60 day content sprint in an ideal scenario where the first thing I talk about as soon as they enter our program is the seeds of doubt and the reasons that you'll fail. And these seeds of doubt obviously creep in. They creep into my life daily. I'm sure they do with you. And especially as someone that's not been doing this, like one of my clients might not have been, they're going to have overwhelm. They're going to have fear of judgment, rejection, imposter syndrome. You know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough because this, this isn't easy. So let's say we've got our mindset in the right place. We are, we're committed for a minimum of 90 days to, to showing up daily. And the objective within that time is to start laying a very solid foundation for a personal brand on LinkedIn. What's next? We're mentally committed. What comes up after yeah. that? For me, it boils down to deciding to start, really, because um, actually being ready to start and deciding to start, those are two different mm -hmm. actions. Because when you're ready to start, you're like, OK, I got everything I need. I'm confident. I understand now I'm not going to get my likes at the very beginning. I'm not going to get the most followers, the most engagement, whatever. But then it comes time to actually do some, create some action and starting. And then those other questions pop up. Where do I start? How do I start? Do I start posting? Do I start consuming? Do I start commenting first? What do I do first? And to tell you the truth, the answer depends on how ready you are. Because some people know that they have a lot of things to say. They have a lot of, I, I almost want to say varied experiences. Um, they worked in marketing. They worked in multimedia. They worked in at a TV station. They worked in uh, the you know newspaper printing business. And then they're like, okay, so what is my main focus? Like, what do I talk about? And how do you even answer that? Because you've now worked in like three or four industries and you're experienced in all of them. And being ready and actually knowing how to start those are two different things. So I usually go through a very, very, very um, 
I want to say intimate um, process with the clients where we have this discovery phase where they have to tell themselves what is going to be your focus for your content, because you can talk about all of this stuff, especially if it, you know, doesn't have any connecting touch points. Hmm. For me, I'll give and I'll actually give you a very simple breakdown of how anyone can do it. Create like a top 10 list of all the things you're good at, of all your skills. Literally, it's as simple as that. Create a top 10 list of your skills. For me, that would be, you know, copywriting. It would be content writing. It would be brand messaging as a whole, like taglines and figuring out uh, who you are as a brand. Um, it would be personal branding. It would be um, just ad creation, meaning the, the actual visual um, side of creating ad campaigns, specifically billboards. Then it would be graphic design. Then it would be teaching. Then it would be like, it would be a very, it would be a, a list filled with variety of topics. So what do I do? I create my top 10 and then without any sort of emotion attached to it, delete five, create my top five Ooh. without any sort of emotion. And here's why it matters, because LinkedIn itself, when you turn your profile from standard profile to creator profile, right? When you turn your creator mode on, they tell you, uh, choose your five hashtags, choose your five topics. So five is the limit. So what I do is create my top 10. I literally emotionlessly delete five. And then I look at the five. Do they touch upon each other? Like, are they supporting each other or are they completely different things? Because if they are completely different things, my audience is going to be confused as to who I am. I can't be a Fortune 500 copywriter and a graphic designer as well. <laughs> like, I know how to do both things really well, but I'm just much better at copy. And mm -hmm. I'm going. To, what I'm going to do then is out of my top five, I'm going to start deleting some things. Now, it might just happen that you don't have to delete anything. You can just leave your top five as is because they are really interconnected and they work together well. But for me, I really had to do that. So for me, like the top five things that I ended up with was were um, copywriting, brand messaging, brand strategy, personal branding, and LinkedIn because they all sort of tie into each other. Now, imagine if I put in graphic design in there. It just, it just doesn't work. Like the focus itself is confusing. So that's usually the first step. If you're ready to start, pick your focus. Don't pick your niche, pick your focus. What is the sort of skill set that you bring to the table? And then once you have that figured out, like once you have your skill sets laid out in front of you or your tools of the trade, if you will, then it's about what kind of problems you solve for your customers. What can you actually solve? And then I, I would literally repeat the same exact process, create my top 10 list of challenges and issues. I know some of my clients face. Do they, you know, are they interconnected? Do they touch upon each other? Create my top five again. And that's my content strategy, literally for the very beginning. With time, you will alter this. With time, you will revise this, refine it, update it. But for the very beginning, this is how you start. And this is how I teach my clients to start. And it literally takes like five or 10 minutes to answer these questions and actually create your top five lists. Mm, I like that, man. It's very, very simple. Um, and it's a way of getting commitment quite easily from a potential client as well, right? So you're saying, look, just tell me five things. They'll tell me 10 things. We'll yeah. reduce that. So we'll make it even easier. 
and then we'll commit to a 90-day game plan of talking about these things. So we're ready to start. We know what our content pillars are, as I like to call them, or topics for anyone that calls them something different. We've made the commitment plan for 90 days. How do we go about writing? Because I know that's your specialism, right? And we want to we want to pull a bit of that out. But I came across from, from Instagram where I've got a much bigger audience and is obviously very design or image focused as opposed to LinkedIn. And I, I thought, I've been a LinkedIn user for years in my, in my corporate role, but I thought I could just take that content and put it on LinkedIn. I could have a VA post it. And in some respects, that's very, very true. I can, but I found out quickly that the written piece is so much more crucial on LinkedIn than the media that's attached to it, which was a shame for me because I've got a lot of media produced for Instagram, right? Carousels, reels, singles, et cetera. So I actually find LinkedIn easier in some respects because the media production or the media production time cost is low but the words have got to be on point and that's the foundation for me and i'm sure you'll say the same in terms of the written piece is important so i haven't got a clue how to write let's say let's not concern ourselves with any media let's just say i want to start i've got my pillars their sales mindset business marketing and social i don't suppose that bit matters um what would the next step be for for someone do you think Okay, so the next step, for me at least, is I try to teach people how writing or copywriting actually works. So in a nutshell, copywriting isn't necessarily about writing. And I teach this to my students all the time. It's actually about human psychology and how we perceive information. Because the first step of any information, whether it's written, whether it's visual, audio, whatever, is getting someone's attention. Today, brands are not necessarily competing with their competitors only, Mm. right? Apple is not only battling Samsung. Um, Xiaomi is not only battling Realme or, you know, you can name any brand, any like direct competitor. They're actually battling everyone. Everyone is battling everyone because we have this huge influx of information nowadays. And as these social platforms grow, so do so does the content. Like there's so much content out there. So how do you stand out? And it's all about grabbing someone's attention. And that's the first thing you need to understand about humans. Um, today, like our attention spans are super, super low. If we don't get what we need in like two or three seconds, you're out. You're out of the picture. So you have only seconds to convince someone to even look at your content, to even think to themselves okay this is interesting let me even consider like exactly spending so, another two seconds on it is exactly crazy. exactly Those TikTok thumbs are ready like, <laughs> ready to fire a well, name that's it like just think about tiktok or even linkedin or any social platform what you're doing is actually it doesn't even last two to three seconds like i feel i'm being generous here it's like yeah. swipe not for me swipe not for me swipe oh here's something right it's 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 just seconds where this battle happens And the way, like the thing that actually resonates with people, like what's that thing that actually captures your attention? It could be visual, but as you said, for LinkedIn, it's typically information because it's all text-based for the most part. Mm -hmm. So for LinkedIn, if the information you're sharing is not relevant to your audience, they're not going to care. They're absolutely not going to care what you're talking about. 
And how do you make information relevant to, to your audience? First of all, you have to know who your audience is. Like that's why toning down your skills uh, to, to like a top five, narrowing it down and narrowing down those types of problem problems that you can solve with, with your skills. That's why that matters. Because if you don't have problems that people can attach to where people can think I'm heard, that's me. I'm understood. That's about me. I'm going through that same thing. Let me read that. That relates to me. You're not going to grab anyone's attention. People want things that relate to them. People want things that improve their lives. People want things that help them do their work better, that help them grow, that help them feel better, et cetera, et cetera. So I start with figuring out two pieces of your content strategy. One is who your audience is exactly, exactly. I don't just mean other aspiring copywriters or online coaches, online business, co online coaching business owners. No, you have to get even more granular than that. Go deeper. What sort of online business or online coaching business owners out are there out there? Right. There are so many different businesses because you have to know exactly where a customer is. There's coaches who do it on the fly, who don't have a defined offer. There's coaches who do webinars all the time. There's coaches who only have digital products. There's coaches who only do one-on-one -on -one sessions. There's coaches where their prices are around the 1K or around the four you know, figure mark. And then there's coaches who have a five and above figure mark offer. You have to know all these things. As soon as you have narrow down exactly who your audience is, then you can take, take your pile of problems that you know you can solve and apply it to them. Whatever else mm. doesn't relate to them, delete it from your pile. And now what you have is two things. You have a very, very defined customer who you know you can help, and you have very defined problems that they need solving, and you're in the middle. You're the, the person, you're the actual gateway to their solution. So figuring those two things out, who your audience is exactly, and what sort of problems you can solve for them exactly, that's the beginning of your content strategy. And however you start after that, there's like a million different ways to tell your story, how to write hooks and things like that. If you don't have these two things figured out, it's just going to fall apart. You're going to be running wild without direction because a, you're not going to know who you're talking to. You're just going to throw mud at the wall, hoping that it sticks. Or you're going to have a customer who you know, like you know who they are exactly, but you're talking about topics and problems that are irrelevant to them. So again, you're just throwing mud at the wall, you know, hoping that it sticks. So knowing exactly who your audience is and knowing exactly the types of problems you can solve for them, that's where you start. I love it, man. I love it. And you're right. We're competing with everyone. I'm competing with you. You're competing with Apple. Apple are competing with Nike. It's crazy because it's it's a game of attention. And you know, I love it. that's what makes it more exciting for me. So how do you capture that attention? And the answer is definitely specificity and going ultra, ultra relevant. And I wouldn't say it all has to be problem based from the way I look at it. I think it's also desire based as well. And then if you can if you get all the right ingredients, which hopefully if you've been listening and you can take some notes on what, on what Jay's just said, then you've got a really, really actionable list of things to go away and do. Some of which you can pro most of which you can probably do in like an hour. If you oh, actually put your phone away and oh do, God, the, yeah. do the deep work for one hour, 60 minutes. And this, if your next phase, if you're serious about doing this is to 
go and actually put this into practice, you're going to see massive results at some point in the next quarter, half a year, if you if you take the time out now and commit. Um, but yeah, I think if you can craft all these in ingredients together and stick it out for the long haul, you're then going to position yourself as a person of influence, whether that's it, you know, a micro influencer to begin with, whatever it is, it's, it's a start. And then you can command more attention with your content. And that's a position of power. Like I've come onto this platform. I came on in April and it's, it's just amazing what a difference like six to eight, Set, no, seven months can can make you know had a couple of posts that hit really big the the stuff that's happened in my business and the number of clients that i've not only won but impacted through just this consistency and the clarity at the start has been absolutely phenomenal and you know it seems like we both follow a very similar path in the way that we help our clients. I love, I don't do the 10 narrowed down to five though. So I'm, I might steal that, but I feel like we've had a, a massive sort of masterclass already from you. And yeah, I'm wondering, wondering where to take this next. I mean, I've jotted down some questions. Um, I do want to just interject and say, thank you everyone for, for joining. And if you have questions for myself, Jay or both, please drop them in the comments section. We've bookmarked a little mark, a little bit of time afterwards to to do a bit of a Q and A, and we can we can hopefully help some of you guys out. Um, let's talk about a little bit of a breakdown of what you think the the perfect post. And I know there are loads, but again, if we can just give as much actionable stuff that people can take away as possible. I know ClickFunnels, Russell Brunson always talks about HSO, which is hook story offer. Yeah. I've tried to simplify and do my own version of that, which is ABC, which is basically attention, breakdown, call to action. Um, but I guess just hearing those phrases might not mean much to a lot of people. So it'd be great to hear what you think should make up. And we'll just stick, stick with text, obviously, for now. But how, how do you go about crafting the perfect post and what are those top-level components? Okay, awesome. By the way, both of those formulas, both the ones you listed from ClickFunnels and yours, I like them. But I feel like just depending on who you are as a person and how you like to share your story, your post format is going to be different. And that is the beauty of LinkedIn. That is the beauty of personal brands. Everyone has their own personalized way of you know doing things, of creating content, of writing even. Like you could give me... My like if I wrote the last hundred posts on LinkedIn using the exact same framework, like quite literally the exact same one, ABC. And if I gave you that to analyze and to recreate it as your own, because this is the sort of stuff that works, right? This is the sort of stuff that people engage with and people react to. I guarantee you the stuff you create will be massively different. Oh, yeah. Because it's just the power of individuality, right? The way we tell our stories is way different. I can tell you how I do things on my LinkedIn and what works for me specifically. Mm. I typically like, because I have so many stories to share, like I have a decade plus of experience in my work. I've worked with smaller brands. I've worked with some very big brands. I've charged $8 an hour at the very beginning of my career. I now charge four, sometimes five figures per day for my workshops. There's like a whole journey inside of here on so many stories. So I like to share my stories. I, I typically start with like a one sentence summary or if possible, one line summary. I don't like it when the formatting is a bit off and my first, like the hook, the first sentence drops down into two lines. Um, mm. By the way, just a quick plug in. This is not affiliated or anything. I use a tool called Authored In and it's a, basically a preview tool for your LinkedIn posts. 
it allows you to uh, bake it into your LinkedIn editor. And as soon as you hit, you know, post or write something on the right side, you get this preview, both for mobile, for tablet, for desktop. So this allows me then nice. to know exactly how you're going to perceive my content, how, how it's going to be presented to you. So for me, the first line has to be super short, super dead simple, and it has to be super relatable. So what I try to do is share almost like a summary of you know, what you're going to read about in that first thing. But I don't share the whole lesson. I share the hard hitting part, but I don't share the entire lesson, like the crux of it, the, the main piece of advice. So that's how I do it. I typically start with something that people can immediately see and say, huh, how come? Or, huh, that's interesting. Or, huh, that sounds like me. Let me see what he has to say. And then in the very middle, I try to keep it very structured. A lot of white space. Or if I'm writing in sections, I try to keep it to a maximum of three lines per section. Now, whether those sections are just one like paragraph of multiple sentences or is just sentence, 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 three sentences, one after the other, and then white space again, um, I try to structure it in a way that's visually pleasing. Because if it's not, people are like our brains are trained to think this way. This is again, it goes back to the psychological elements of copywriting. If you give me a very strong chunk of text, like a super hefty piece of copy and put it in front of me, I'm probably just going to say, no, this is way too long. I don't have time for this. But if you give me the same exact information in a slightly more formatted way, meaning one line, one white space, one line, you know, one line, one empty line, one white space, all of a sudden it becomes easier to read. It's super easy on the eyes. It's visual, visually appealing. So for me, it would be just that. Like that would be my structure of a perfect post. Start with a hook that's super short and to the point that sort of summarizes your entire post. Then um, give the main piece of advice or share your full story or give your main piece of advice at, uh, throughout the you know, main part, throughout the body of your post. And at the very end, um, for me, it actually fluctuates. Sometimes I leave it inspiring. People actually love that. And uh, my, community, my community on LinkedIn loves that when I write something that's super inspiring. Sometimes I leave it as a very hard hitting lesson at the very end. Um, but for the most part, I try to follow it up with a question or a PS because then this gives me more touch points for engagement. Essentially, I'm not just giving them the post to engage with. I'm also, also giving them this additional question or PS where I'm kind of almost like manufacturing comments, right? They're, they're not only responding to the post itself, they're also responding to the, to the question at the very end. So now I can sometimes get like more people to engage. Um, it's, it's actually, a, again, a psychological, I don't want to say trick, but just, a, just the way humans like to talk and communicate. It's like you're having coffee with someone and you explain the problem to someone and then you just, you know, like follow it up with a question. Don't you just hate it when that happens? Boom. Now they're responding immediately. But if you didn't end it with that question, if you just stopped at the end of your story, then it's going to be dead silence. And they have to figure out how to respond. Like mm -hmm. they have to figure out what the comment. So with this, with that ending where you ask a question or you add this PS with just an additional bit of information, what you're doing is you're actually making it easier for your audience to comment. And I've seen a lot of other creators do this, and it's it's good for engagement because, again, the goal is to not make your audience 
think and basically make it hard for them to engage with your posts. The goal is the actual opposite. Make it easy for them, almost like it's natural for them to write a comment below. And it's good for your engagement. It's good for you to connect with others. It's good for you to start new conversations or it's good for people to just share their you know, story that or share their like, experience that you, you've just gone through, but just their version of that experience. So, yeah, it's just I feel like I, I need to summarize this. <laughs> it's, it's a long answer. So hook very short, almost like a summary of your entire post. Make it that's the real attention grabber. Body needs to be super visually appealing, meaning very short to the point and a lot of white space for, for easier reading. And the ending should always include either uh, a hard hitting conclusion or a question or a PS that just adds a little bit of fun for the comment section and makes it easier for people to engage with you in the comments. So that's my summary of a perfect LinkedIn post. Amazing summary, man. I love it. Yeah. So much, uh, so much to be said for the white space as well. Often overlooked, especially when people are starting out looking for things like, you know, there's a big, big question on emojis. I quite like them because like you say, I, I try and craft a visually appealing LinkedIn post and it separates things out almost a bit of a pattern interrupt. But if you're not an emoji type of person, bullet points work great. Break yeah. lines work great. Dash space, dash space, dash space. Um, so there's, there's so much you can do, as you say, we could stay on here for, for hours and, and talk about it. But um, you yeah. mentioned a tool called uh, Authored In. So it's the yeah. word authored, then in. I've got it up here. Looks good. But a couple of people asking about that. Um, I had a couple of other questions that I uh, I wanted to ask you. And, and the I first have time, so we're good. No worries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, all good, man. I've, I've got until uh, got another 20 minutes or so. So um, do you want to tell us, because we've talked about the word hustle, we now talk about side hustle because that's what oh, I know where this is do. going. Oh, Chris, <laughs> you're you're sneaky like that. <laughs> so that's what a lot of people have to do because most people are in employment. They they develop a skill either as part of that employment or outside that outside that employment, and then something clicks in and they want to monetize that for good reason as well. I think everyone should be, if possible, their own boss if they're mentally equipped to to sort of do so, and if their situation allows. So. I, I did the same. I don't know if you I don't know if you did and you were employed when you did the upwork thing, but um you mentioned in the in the notes when you that you filled in for for the podcast thing that I asked you to that you think copywriting cannot be a side hustle. Why? And I, and I stand by that firmly. Good. I'm interested, I, I man. I posted about this recently on my LinkedIn and the comment section was a blast. People were like, How? What do you mean? Why do we then see all of these TikTok videos and YouTube videos telling us that copywriting is the biggest side hustle you can do to create like uh, 100K per year? Here's your answer. If your side hustle is making you $100,000 per year, that's not a side hustle. That's a full-blown job. That's not a side hustle. That's a job. You can quit everything else in life. That's your main thing. If your side hustle is creating 100K per year, that's not a side hustle. But for me, the biggest misconception, uh, by the way, I see people commenting about author then. I'm glad you liked it. Um, the biggest misconception I feel people have with um, copywriting being a side hustle or, or um, people wanting it to be a side hustle, it actually goes back to the very definition of what a side hustle is. See, for me, a side hustle is something that I do quite literally on the side, right next to maybe my main job or 
if I don't have a main job, I do it in a way that only exerts like one or two hours, right? Per Minimal. day, yeah. or even less Minimal than that. Yeah, per week for me, you know, for, for, for me, how to do it on, on a daily or on a weekly basis. Like you said, minimum effort. That's what a side hustle is. So if you ever try to do copywriting, you're going to realize minimum effort goes out the window. It's impossible because sometimes in order for you to just write a five letter, uh, sorry, a five word headline for an ad or for a website for the hero banner, that takes not hours, that takes days, mm. days of research, days of talking with the client, days of gathering all the information, days of writing, editing, testing, and then writing the final five words that you need to actually publish it and, you know, let it, let the world to see. That's not a side hustle. <laughs> that just sounded like a full-time job that I just described. I'm so so that's, yeah, the time commitment and the actual effort required for you to do copywriting as a job or any sort of engagement endeavor whatever you want to call it in your daily life it can absolutely undoubtedly not be a side hustle because side hustles are typically something that requires the least amount of time the least amount of effort and it's just impossible to do that with copywriting and people think that it is possible but once they actually start and do it it's just not i've met so many people who believe that co copywriting could have been done as a side hustle. And, you know, they've, they've come to me and they're like, well, I'm doing copywriting. Like I write copy on the side and I'm like, how much do you write? Where they're like, well, I invest two to three hours per day. I'm like, that's not a side hustle. That's a part-time job. Right. Again, we have this battle of definitions. A part-time mm -hmm. job is different from a side hustle again, because if you're doing it every single day for two to three hours, and it actually creates consistent income. It's a part-time job, whether you want to believe it or not. It's just a battle of definition. So yeah, side hustle, copywriting, those two terms, phrases, for me, they're, they're impossible to connect. And I feel like a lot of copywriters are to blame here because they want to create content that grabs attention, right? On TikTok, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, wherever, whatever social media platform. And then they do this thing where they tell people it's possible and people ask them for advice, people pay for their digital courses, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And it's not possible. <laughs> In the end, what you just find is you need to do it more consistently. It requires more time. It requires more effort, meaning it's not a side hustle and it absolutely can't be. So yeah, I absolutely have a problem, Chris, when people call it a side hustle because it absolutely isn't. You feel strongly about this one, <laughs> Yeah, I do. <laughs> It's a battle of definitions. You either have to decide, like, we have to be clear on what a side hustle is. We have to be clear about what a part-time job is and what an actual job, a full-time job is. So we have to be clear on those. And side hustle and copywriting just don't go well together. It's impossible. I love that, man. I love that. I want to thank you for, for such generous, actionable, robust answers as well, I think. If anyone stayed for the whole session, and hopefully you have, or you're catching this on a replay, I hope there is some, well, a lot of things that you can take away and apply to your own upcoming experience in any on any social platform, 
in life as well, you know, setting yourself up correctly and, and remaining consistent, just great advice at the start. But some of the more actionable stuff on LinkedIn in particular, really, really helpful, Jay. Um, let's move to some questions. I know a couple of people have uh, have dropped some stuff. There's a lot of comments. Um, so I'll skim back through real quick. Someone said Chris and Jay equals gold plus Cody equals platinum. I love that. That's probably um, Cody Davis. Shout out to my man, Cody. That's Cody Davis. Yeah. We'll give, okay. uh, give Cody. Cody a bit of airtime. There we go. Shout out, Cody. Um, Vicky says she felt the same. She had no clue. Vicky's a copywriter who uh, a very, very good friend of mine. Um, no clue what copy was when she started. I worked. I actually sold copywriting before I knew what it was as well. I, I worked at an agency and I didn't have a clue. I thought, you can copyright something where you're buying sort of the rights to it or the red, you know, like a registered uh, trademark kind of thing. I thought it was that, but I would sold it without knowing the definition, um, which is an interesting thing. They're even Let worse than us, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Standard. Sonal says it's all about the long game. Completely agree. Um, Absolutely. Sarah Carr has jumped in and called us both legends. So I'll just get that king emoji. The uh, queen emoji. is in the building. Just so you know, Sarah <laughs> is the queen. Yeah, we'll have to bow. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Deborah, really enjoying this. Thank you. Glad you did. Um, Lama, working with a startup as a copywriter has been so inspiring because I get to grow the uh, with the brand. Yeah, you grow as a person, definitely. This alone is very motivating for me and gets you to stay consistent. Amazing. Amazing. Now, we do have a question here. And I'm sorry, I don't know how to uh, how pronounce the, the first name, but the question, I guess, um, it's quite a long one. My niche is supporting women who are experiencing menopausal symptoms. It is a sensitive, private, taboo topic with low engagement, especially outside of DMs, I imagine, comment-based stuff. What suggestions do you have for using your words to sell with topics of this sort of nature? That okay, is uh, well, a good question. Yeah, because it's a sensitive topic, I feel like it uh, really depends on what the platform allows in terms of language. So if you're posting about it on LinkedIn, like as an expert on the topic, as a doctor, or as someone who sells um, some sort of, you know, medical solutions, whether it's tools or whether it's products, whatever it may be, just please do your research first. I always tell the people, go straight to the platform. Right, like say the the platform in question is LinkedIn. Like literally, write to them asking what sort of language, what sort of words and phrases and topics are actually allowed to be used on the platform. Because again, because it's such a sensitive topic, you don't want to be flagged, you don't want to be banned, you don't want to be blocked for a certain period of time. Do that first. Then, once you actually have a concise list of terms and terminology of language that you can actually use, then figure out um, which, what sort of language your audience responds to the best. And you can do this in a million, million different ways. You can literally go out to the street, ask random people about, hey, these are five words. Which one do you feel explains this or that the strongest? Choose that as your go-to word, you know, depending on the result. You can also do surveys on LinkedIn itself. Um, mm. Ask about the people's opinions. Like quite literally, don't assume anything. So before I would start crafting my content long-term around a certain, um, I want to say batch of phrases or, or just, you know, just defining my brand voice because it's such a sensitive brand and brand industry, I would 
not assume anything. I would want to be certain, 100% certain about the language that I'm using, about the sort of things that I'm talking about, about the sort of problems that I'm addressing. So whether you're surveying, whether you're asking about it on LinkedIn prior to creating content long-term, I would do that. Be sure, be certain about what sort of language you need to use and then craft your messaging around that. Now, in that discovery process, you're going to discover whether you can label certain things directly, and I'm not going to label them right now in, in, in the risk of being banned, or do you have to find the crafty you know, phrase to describe something? If it's the latter, then you have your answer. Then you're going to have to create a brand voice that uses these you know, phrases naturally, whether it's in the posts, in the comments, in your article titles, in your webinar titles, things like that. So never assume anything. Always know, always know your research prior to that. And then just depending on what's allowed, what's not, what works, what doesn't, what people resonate with, what they don't resonate with, that's when you have all of your answers. And that's what you should use long term because you can't define your brand voice without knowing what your audience responds to. So hopefully that answered the question. Solid answer, man. Solid answer. We've got time for a couple more, and I think we've I think we've got a couple more. Um, okay. This is a great question. What about overthinking and getting stuck on the post? Now I know this happens. I know this happens with some of my clients. What do you do? What do you prioritize in order to get unstuck? Just leave it be. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> when, when whenever you're too stuck on there, I feel like there's there there's stuck on something, meaning you're like writing it and then you can't think of a word and you can't think of like a way to finalize your post. But then there's the two stuck version of it where you're writing something time and time again, day in and day out um, and you can't finalize it at all. There's like, those are two different things for the first one. I just say sleep, sleep on it, you know, leave it be for, for a couple of hours, go out, take a walk, watch something, you know, like just, refresh your mind because sometimes the mind is tired enough to think it's I, it sounds like a vague answer but that for me it always helps i watch something on netflix or i go and consume other people's content or i watch something on youtube i come back i can do it like i can actually finalize the post and i don't overthink and get stuck on it but if it's the latter which is a more challenging situation my advice is always to rewrite it completely don't even use the same hook don't even use the same structure don't even use the same ideas in every single part of your post rewrite it completely and if you can rewrite it not just once but two or three times what's going to happen is you're probably going to come to an end you're probably going to come to a conclusion of your post in those two or three times and then you can easily just pick and choose parts that work and if you're really stuck on that first version that you really wanted to work, but you were overthinking it and you got stuck on it, then you can easily just pick and choose pieces from those other two or three versions and just plug it in there. It always works. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just nice. rewrite it to a point where you can actually finalize it. Or it might just happen that you don't even like the first version anymore because you like the other, you know, the newer, the updated versions more. So yeah, it just depends on how stuck you are. Got you. And I'd I'd be quite the opposite in some respects because I feel like you really that you're overvaluing the the you've overvaluing a post. I think if you've got to go and revisit it so many times or spend two hours on it, I think my my whole ethos is it's it's very throwaway on LinkedIn. Now, if we're talking about a YouTube video, 
we're talking about evergreen content that sticks around for years that could potentially, you know, enhance your reputation made now in two years time or could win you a load of clients in two years time, then that I think probably needs a bit more prep. But, and I know everyone differs. I don't spend too long on, on any LinkedIn post and I will put it, but I've been through the perfectionism stage and, and, and like come out of it now where I, I'm, and I described it very similarly to someone as my first tattoo, because I'm covered. My first tattoo took me 20 plus years to get. Now I'm, now I'm covered and I will get a tattoo for a joke. Now like I have had a tattoo just for a joke in the past, a very small one. Um, and you just because you don't you once you once you're in the motion of of doing things you don't overthink them anywhere near as much they're not as big of a consideration and i feel like that first hurdle once you can get over it understanding that your content probably only has a 48 hour shelf life uh, max for most posts unless they go big and once you can get into that it's just another one you're planning on doing hopefully 365 pieces of content minimum this year, um, or let's say 200 minimum, that's a very small drop in the ocean. And you cannot afford to go back and redraft, rewrite, test, 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 unless it's up to you how you spend your time. But I would say there are more sort of money-making activities if you're trying to build a brand to monetize that you can focus your energy on. So your whole thing is it doesn't have to be perfect just because it's live. Like, it's okay to be completely raw and... Yeah, I think well, the ends of the spectrum. I try to, in the time that I allow, tick a certain few boxes, which is the white space, which is a nice headline, which is summarized bullet points and hopefully something actionable or an engaging point that people can interact with or a question or whatever it is. But I will, I a lot of the time, attach media to my posts because I'm a, I'm a visual person. Um, I'm big on video and I know LinkedIn are going to start pushing it more. It's not taking effect, but I think again, because a video is typically a dead statement, but I will spend a lot more time on the media than I will on the writing behind yep. it. I only understand very basic copy elements, um, but I get it. And I definitely know how it works on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, I would, I would much, much rather have 10 posts out, or ready to go in the time that another creator is is spending just to perfect one, let's say. Yeah, I think it also, just to uh, throw in a bit more context, I think it also has to do a lot with the size of your audience. It's like if you're just starting out and you want to build that habit of writing daily, and I see this a lot with a lot of new LinkedIn content creators, it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. Like you said, it only has like a shelf life of 48 hours. Then you can easily take that same post five, six months down the line and repurpose it, repost it again, mm -hmm. you know, in a rewritten format or whatever, or just copy paste it and repost it, you know, just post it again. But if it's, if you do have a very large audience and you don't want to have that pushback, especially public, you know, negative feedback, I always go back to the, to a quote from Warren Buffett, who said, um, always assume that the next thing you write is going to be published on a billboard tomorrow morning meaning it's out there for the for the whole world to see. And I think this is exactly where this comparison of just starting out and building a habit, not having a big enough audience for you to even get that sort of negative feedback and having a sort of very engaged community. You are, you've already had viral posts. You've al you already have a steady engagement every single day and thousands and thousands of reactions on a weekly basis. So I think, you know, now it is a kind of a battle of, 
do I have to make it more perfect or at least more concise? Or can I just go with it as it is? I think that's where this decision making difference actually lies. So hopefully that's a bit more context. Great answer again, man. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, it's time. I've got another call in 15 minutes, so I have to go and prep and, uh, and eat some food as well. But Jay, I want to say thank you, man. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think you've given me and everyone else so much to take away. So I want to say thank you for taking the time out, especially while you're on your business slash pleasure trip over in Germany, which I hope goes well, man. That sounds exciting. And yeah. I want to say thank you to everyone else for uh, for tuning in as well. It's been a blast. I'll see everyone soon. I just want to say thank you, everyone. Most, um, I, I feel so, so happy to be here to talk with everyone. And yeah, if you have any other questions or you want to just engage with me, pick my brand or whatever, just send me a DM or even better, just leave a comment in one of my posts because sometimes I'm terrible with DMs because I get so many. So <laughs> yeah, thank you everyone yeah. for being here, for following and hope you find this useful. Thanks, guys.